Welcome to CTOs of Tomorrow, the podcast that brings together the brightest minds to explore the future of remote work and digital strategy. Join us as our host, Jonathan Desotel, Professional Services Sales Director at M-Files, uncovers smarter ways to work in the rapidly evolving remote environment. Well, Chris, thank you very much for, uh, for joining me today. Really appreciate your time. We'd love to get for the listeners a little bit on your background what you're doing today, and really get into where you see technology impacting your world of talking about supply chain and and distribution and that sort of thing. First of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm a supply chain professional through and through, 28 years of it by now. I've been in in management consulting in Asia, Europe, and the US. I've been in, in startups a few times, and I've also ran supply chains. And I teach supply chain at a university, so I know enough to be dangerous. So I think, you know, there's obviously technology has never been more interesting. So really excited to talk about that. Great. Yeah, I'd love to kind of get into your thoughts on the automation of services, products and everything, you know, where the long-term impacts are. And then certainly, you know, talking about COVID and the pandemic and everything that's just become a disaster with supply chain with that and kind of how maybe how you see technology playing a part with that. Yeah, good. And if you don't mind, I'll start with the the pandemic because that's a short-term issue. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's probably not something, at least from a supply chain perspective, that we'll be worried about in a few years. At least I hope so. But the the technology (laughs) is something, yes, that uh, is going to be around for as long as we are. So in terms of the pandemic, one thing to, to keep in mind is that supply chains really haven't changed. You know, we don't have less ships and less trucks and less containers. We do have less people, of course. But what is happening and what has happened due to the pandemic is that things have gotten out of sync. A lot of supply chains are just these finely choreographed systems with more or less the same amount of containers flowing back to China as we get from them. And as long as we have that, that's a circle that keeps repeating. You know, everybody has containers. When containers are suddenly sucked up into the middle of the country where people use them for inventory and things like that, now suddenly there's less containers going back. When orders from Asia for American products uh, decrease, there's less containers going back. Suddenly we have this imbalance that then, of course, leads to big problems. China in 2021 manufactured twice as many containers as they did in 2020, you know, because of these imbalances. And we see them all over. We see them with truck drivers. We see them with, obviously, the delays in ports and things like that. And one thing to keep in mind is, in all of this, is supply chain professionals are as, as good as they come. They're as good as professionals in any other field. You know, they're highly educated. They're highly motivated. They, you know, they have a, a great sense of right and wrong. People want to do the right thing. You know, it's never your professional next door that's at fault. These are systemic issues that we're looking at. And right now, it's particularly challenging. We see the situation in the ports. We see, obviously, which are, to a large degree, point to a bigger issue of we need to figure out ways to become more efficient. And maybe that's a segue into technology. Is Companies today are looking at how do I become more efficient simply because they have to. You know, there's there's a shortage of 80,000 drivers right now and it's not going away anytime soon. So in fact, it, it might be more, you know, the real, the shadow numbers might be a lot higher. You can work harder, you can work smarter. A lot of companies this year and also last year have started to work smarter, to look into, you know, what can we do from a, a technology enablement perspective? What tools can I use that I'm not using? AI optimization, for example, had a real renaissance. Companies literally having new customers everywhere they go. 
And that's good to see. It's leading us to a new level of efficiency and also proficiency, which obviously ultimately is good for the consumer. If supply chains work more efficiently, if you need if, if you need to spend less money to get things from A to B, then you know that's good for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, you touched on AI, which I definitely wanted to get into next. How do you see whether it's it's that or, or just technological optimization of different parts to the supply chain? Do you see anything coming back from relying on China to maybe other ports or other geographies or, or coming back on shore? What are your thoughts there? First of all, you know, this is a really, really great question. It AI is undoubtedly the biggest technology in this decade, you know, second to none. On one hand, we have all of the robotic automation that's going on, tuggers, pallet jacks, forklifts that are being automated. And that's where we see a couple of really, really interesting technological paradigms kind of being tried out between people who use markers in a warehouse and people who use LiDAR and cameras, for example. And so far, the cameras and the LiDARs, by the way, are winning uh, by a far margin. Um, but you know, in autonomous trucks, where it's pretty clear that that's coming, you have too simple already running loads, you've got a plus AI running loads, and so on and so forth, right? And so this is a fascinating space. And we're going to see a lot of this AI work first be a fruits in over the road trucking, simply because it is a much easier business case to, to run a truck along a stretch of highway at 55 miles or 60 miles an hour than to take that same truck and run it through a school zone. You know, that's right. nobody would attempt that today and, and rightfully so. AI, of course, also on the on the planning side, on the backend side is, is really, really fascinating. We've seen a number of really interesting companies use AI, for example, to optimize overall transport and supply chain systems. And that obviously is fantastic. We see more and more AI in route optimization. It's a real a real big issue, obviously, for e-commerce deliveries, last mile delivery. But we're also seeing it in industrial type applications. And I think just recently I had that conversation with someone who's starting to use AI. We talked earlier today and it it's, you kind of, you have to go in phases. You know, the first thing people tend to do is they use an AI type optimization. They optimize a situation and then that static result is put into execution and you, you go and do whatever you found. But of course, it's a continuous learning loop, right? And a continuous feedback loop. And so the way to use AI really comes down to is that you continuously measure how well you're doing, and then feed that back in to change the algorithm itself. You know, we're yep. finding that maybe 60% of drivers are, are only satisfied with their routes. Well, let's take a few variables that are directly correlated to driver satisfaction and bring them into the algorithm. And suddenly things start to take shape. One guy needs to bring the kids to school in the morning. Another guy needs to be home at four because of whatever happens in his life, right? And so we're seeing AI across the board. And I think we're at the very, very beginning. Right. And the one thing I always remind myself of is think back to the first automobile. I think it was 1886, right? Daimler, right? And um, that first of all, it looked like a horse cart because that was the mold, right? That was the model. But even into maybe the 19, 1900s, cars were all still, from our perspective today, very clunky. When you bought a Rolls Royce, you just bought the, literally the drivetrain and the engine. And then you took it to a coach builder who then put the car around it, right? And they, you could, specify what kind of wood and leather and whatever else you have in a, in a roller you wanted. And back in those days, it would have been unfaceable to think about a Formula One race or a Tesla Cybertruck. We are exactly in that situation as far as AI is concerned. 
in 30, 40 years from now, people will look at us like the very first automobiles in our use with AI. Now, you're talking about before, I kind of equate to in my world, we talk about machine learning and continuous active learning. So you're always trying to, you know, it's an iterative process and it's constantly evolving and improving and who knows where it's going to go in in five, 10 years and certainly 50. (laughs) I was thinking about when you were talking there about deliveries and that sort of thing. At home, we just had a delivery from Amazon. We had six cans of coffee on auto renew. They alert us that it's going to be late by a few days. And then all of a sudden it came on the day that we were running out, which was yesterday. And it came in two boxes, one the size of probably two by three feet with four cans. And then another one, like a regular huge box for just two cans. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, technology has to be able to help these companies to be, become more efficient with this. I mean, part of it is, is human error, or just the, I can't imagine how much speed and automation they're, they're trying to create there, but how that doesn't click and, and work more seamlessly is kind of mind-boggling to me. It is. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, and, and obviously, you know, the package efficiency from an environmental perspective is a really important yeah. topic. You know, you open that package and I've had that too, you know, where you get this big box and there's, oh. there's a tiny little thing in it. And in, in fact, they made it less environmentally friendly because now you have all this stuff around it, right? And yep. the short of it is it's a, a really, really, really big problem because mm-hmm. ultimately what you would want is you would want a packaging that's custom to every item you ship. At the same time, the more custom you become, the more expensive it gets. You now also, you're talking about running not one machine, but maybe two, maybe three, maybe five. You're talking about uh, stretching the process out. It takes a lot more time to create a custom package for you than it does to create a, you know, to take a standard size box and have maybe four or six or eight box sizes and everything goes into one of them, right? So Mm -hmm. what the shippers are doing, and it is a sensible thing to do, it's not because they don't care, is that they're basically, they're standardizing these packaging options in order to keep the cost where they are, to keep the process going as fast as it is. But there are companies out there today that are obviously seeing this problem, optimizing it. And it won't be long before we see custom packaging where kind of a Boston Robotics type machine will start to, you know, fold these things exactly as they need to be, you know, kind of an, an origami robot. <laughs> and then you know, your, your two coffee cans go inside. You have a little bit of padding around. Somebody slaps a stamp on it. And you know, it goes out the door to you. Mm. That's coming for sure. Yeah. That's just interesting to me. You know, when it's on an auto renew like that, if that's not an efficient way to do it as part of your technology stack, have a suggestion to say, I'll knock off a couple pennies if you do it this way and get eight and however it works. But I see a lot of opportunity there of technology somehow helping to evolve that constantly. So. That's exactly right. You know, and you you have this immense complexity. It's when you look at a supply chain, a larger one up close, there is no one person who still understands it. You know, this is beyond anyone's grasp. Uh, I mean, you understand it conceptually. You understand we manufacture parts over here and here and here. We bring them in, we manufacture, we, we, we assemble them into products over here and, and all this stuff. But for example, with your boxes, right, I'm pretty sure that your two packages didn't originate in the same distribution center. The algorithm on the retailer side now is, is going in and looking at what's the most optimal way, not just for your coffee cans, but for everyone's, right? right. And, and then I have to match that with deliveries and truck inventory and delivery times and routes and traffic and weather and road conditions and other patterns, demand patterns, right? I have to match all of that 
into a tightly choreographed ballet of millions of goods that are flowing through the through the supply chain and get to you. So I'm fairly sure that, you know, the retailer actually probably optimize the overall system while also compromising on certain things like the, you know, the packaging of your goods. But I'm not trying to defend it. I think there's a piece. There's so much always to consider that makes it kind of, it becomes really interesting to to ponder, right? It's it's a two-pie problem. (laughs) No, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned early on the ecological component to this, you know, the amount of plastic that was put into that. And now at least... Those trucks, for the most part, are electric, it seems, but there's all kinds of those questions to try and figure out how efficient to make it as well. Yeah. yeah. One thing I think that's interesting to, to maybe mention is the mechanization of supply chains or, you know, autonomous supply chains, if you want. When I started uh, Truckle, my current company in 2018, one of the first things we started to think about was that autonomous trucks in a few years will be running loads, right? And so we, today we have a mobile app and we were in 2018, we already knew eventually that application will live on the truck. It's not going to be in anyone's hand eventually. But as we started to think through this, it became clear very quickly that we're not just seeing autonomous trucks, it's, it's autonomous supply chains, autonomous everything. Imagine a scenario where products run off the assembly line, you know, and then in boxes and a Boston Dynamics robot takes each one off the assembly line, puts it into yep. a cargo container. You know, a volocopter drone takes these containers, flies them 15 miles out, you know, out of an urban area into loading yard where an autonomous forklift takes a container, puts it onto, you know, onto the trailer of an autonomous truck. When that truck is fully loaded, it goes and barrels down the road from Chicago to Los Angeles fully unassisted, right? Maybe with a remote driver. And then the process reverses. You know, it goes into a yard where now a forklift unloads these containers, volocopter drones fly them to local delivery centers all around LA, where then Boston Dynamics robots actually take these things apart. And then you have beehives, you know, 150 drones coming through the roof (laughs) and all doing deliveries, right? Basically, we're seeing for a couple of years now, at least in in my company, we've been seeing this mechanization of supply chains. And, you know, one of the realizations that we had very early on was when that happens, what do you think is going to happen to all of the administration? What's going to happen to, you know, all of the paperwork? When you have a fully autonomous supply chain, are you going to hear words like, hey, has anybody seen my bill of lading on the printer very often? No. Right? It's going to be optimized along with. So what we're seeing right now, and, and this goes a little bit also in back to the AI ML conversation, what we're seeing clearly is that technologies like blockchain will truly become much more important than they are today. You know, for a couple of years, people have been kind of huddling around the same few ideas for blockchain and and none of them were actually very workable or, or a few of them were. We called them pilot kings for years because there were these companies that did four, five, six pilots every year, but none ever actually got into a deployment phase because there was no business case behind it. You know, yeah. tracking things on blockchain or proving authenticity on blockchain, that's great. Eventually it'll come, but it won't come as a standalone solution. It only comes, you know, in a much larger context of applications that aren't here today. Hence, companies and CIOs want to be able to say, I've tried blockchain. They're looking at this and saying, why am I spending a million dollars on something that's a 20 cent problem? I'll just get somebody to fill out the form and email it to me, kind of, you know. And so we see that with automation and with autonomy, 
blockchain and other similar technologies will take on a much more important role because now you handle your financials on blockchain, you handle your paper documents and your information exchange, your data exchange. There won't be any paper documents in fact, right. but your information and data exchange on blockchain, you can ultimately what we came up with and we, we actually filed a patent on it a few years back as well is that eventually we're going to see a stock exchange, you know, for supply chain. We're, we're going to see a, a stock market where you can buy and sell transportation lanes or rail capacity or whatever it might be. And because it's on autonomous assets, you know, it's kind of the asset owner kind of selling it on a stock market and anybody can buy capacity, sell it again, arbitrage it. You get a bonus in December and you say, oh yeah, that's great. You know what? I think trucking rates, you know, mile rates are going to go up by at least 10%. I'm going to buy capacity from Chicago to LA right now. In March, I'm going to sell it at 10 cents a mile in profit. You know, Turning a whole new commodity exchange? <laughs> An entirely new commodity exchange. And the, you got it exactly right. That's the idea behind this. Automation of the physical movement of goods and then the information processing behind it leads to a full commoditization of supply chains. Interesting. Another topic I wanted to make sure we hit on is talking about utilizing technology to improve the collaboration across teams, across organizations, or even just departments that you've been talking about. I wonder if you can maybe speak to that a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, my pleasure. Today, you know, and again, uh, supply chain fundamentally, you know, has changed for the last four and a half thousand years. You know, we, we've changed ox carts for trucks and things like that, sailboats for container ships, but the processes haven't really changed that much, you know. And when you look at a typical supply chain, you have a, a recipient of freight, then you have a manufacturer. The manufacturer works with a third-party logistics provider that's an, an intermediary that orchestrates the process. The 3PL works with usually brokers. They work with transportation companies or with dispatchers who work with drivers. In that chain, every single entity is siloed. Every single one is, is completely isolated from the rest. Everyone has their own processes, their own systems, their own culture, their own objectives, their own people, their own resources. So what happens, of course, now is that nobody really actually works together. As long as everything goes right, that's fine. You know, the recipient orders something from the manufacturer. The manufacturer says, look, they've just ordered 35,000 tons of sulfites from us. They need to be there next Wednesday. You got to pick them up at two on Monday. Can you do this? 3PL says, yeah, 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 not a problem. And it kind of hops along the chain all the way to the driver. You got to be there at Monday at two and you got to get it to the customer on Wednesday. As long as that runs fine, everything's okay. As soon as you have a small problem, Everybody is kind of, you know, is shaken out of shape and people are chasing documents all the time. Can you send me your bill of lading, your manifest, your commercial invoice, your hazmat documentation, your standard operating procedure, special handling instructions? People are chasing these documents all the time before anybody's even touched the freight. And it's always emails, phone calls and conversations. And then when something happens, let's say a driver is late and that's just, you know, the least worrisome of, of problems that could occur during a, a load, a, a driver is late. Now what happens is we, we did a case study with a large multinational chemical company and we found that every time a driver is late, it takes 16 calls, conversations and emails. It's, you know, it's not just one conversation. The, the manufacturing manager at the recipient and calls the warehouse and says, hey guys, have you seen that truck I'm manufacturing in an hour? They said, no man, I haven't. Hold on, let me call supply chain, right? They call supply yeah. chain. Dude, I have no idea. I'm sitting in <laughs> office, right? Call, call procurement, right? And, and we already had four conversations, right? And or three conversations involving four people. And then it hops over to the manufacturer where the same thing repeats. You know, 16 
turn off this before you hit the driver. You know, driver says, hey guys, listen, <laughs> everything's fine. I'm at, at lunch with my girlfriend. Don't worry about it. I'll be there in an hour. Then the whole chain reverses until somebody calls the manufacturer, manufacturer calls the recipient. Hey guys, listen, this guy is a hero. He's been in traffic for four hours. You better have donuts and you better have a coffee and you better buy him a pack of cigarettes too. He's the best driver we have. And then the whole thing is, is resolved, right? And everybody's happy. Everybody's fine. But of course, what has happened is we've spent an enormous amount of money on something that is entirely manual, avoidable, and so on. And at Truckle, in, in my company, we've invented what we call collaborative dashboards where we pull a, a transportation load out of the manufacturer system and they sell something. We then automatically, or just by providing a phone number or an email, we invite the recipient and the third-party logistics provider to the transaction. They have their own dashboard, but they all see the same data for that one transaction. The 3PL negotiates with broker, they settle with one and invite them. The broker invites the dispatcher, invites the driver. We've daisy-chained everybody together. And more importantly, the person you would be calling if you have a problem looks at exactly the same information you have. There's no need to call. That's ultimately our magic pixie dust is that. During planning, of course, if you're still needing documents, it floats up really quick when five parties all share the same view of the transaction on their own dashboard. And when the driver goes out and carries the load, they check in at locations, they take photo signatures, they can go through checklists, they can integrate RFID, IoT devices, uh, AI. And now, of course, they collect data that then updates these dashboards in seconds. And now everybody's continuously updated. And by doing that, you effectively, you've created a collaboration platform that everybody can use without sacrificing their own systems and their own processes. And everybody still does exactly what they do, only they have one dashboard that they are look at and they save one to two hours a day per operator in each of those nodes because they're not just babysitting everybody else's phone calls. That's fantastic. Very similar talk track to a lot of the conversations we have about just managing documents and data for companies and then being able to collaborate and, and share that in real time. So speaking our language for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this is great. Definitely not my uh, area of expertise. So this has been fascinating to, to learn about some more of on the supply chain side and certainly how technology impacts that. Any other areas that you wanted to hit on? If there's anything else I can think of is that we are going to see the human element change quite a bit. A lot of times when I give talks about this or present at public events about it, the first question always is what's going to happen to all the truck drivers? You know, are with blockchain, are we going to all, um, kind of uh, obliterate all of the, you know, the back office workers? And I think it's really important to keep in mind that, first of all, no. Not everybody's going away. You know, companies like Einride, for example, they have autonomous trucks. They've had them for years and the drivers are simply in Sweden. When you get the truck, you actually get it with a driver. You just lease it on a monthly basis and they fly it out to wherever you are and then you, you just use it. But there's a driver behind it, right? It's just the notion of driver has completely changed. They have eight displays in, in front of them. They drive more than one truck. They have two joysticks, right? They're not behind the wheel anymore. And there's so jobs will change. Obviously, you know, we're going to see new jobs emerge. There's obviously a, a lot of jobs in the AI or machine learning arena that, that are going to emerge over time. Robot trainer, right? It's, it's not a job that anybody would have considered, but, uh, but things like that will come, right? Professional gamers already exist, right? It's, uh, you know, some students told me that I was <laughs> pretty mesmerized that you have people whose job it is to teach other people how to play video games, you know, and they get paid for it. You know, I mean, that was our world. 
It's, it was, that was our biggest wish when I was growing up. <laughs> that wasn't happening. The thing to keep in mind is a lot of it, we just don't know things will change. You know, if we go back to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, you know, the mid 1600s, 16, you know, 1680, 1690, something like that, even earlier. But um, if you were to time travel, or the two of us were to time travel back right now and 98% of all people are farmers, obviously, right? Everybody's in agriculture. If we go and we talk to farmers and we tell them industrialization is happening and machines here, you don't need to worry about sharing your sheep anymore and you don't need to make clothes anymore. Somebody else does that a lot more efficient, right? They probably would have had a problem with that as well, right? As we do today in many cases. But my, my point here is, you know, if we had gone to these people and said, you know, and they, they tell you, well, what's going to happen to us, right? And, and you tell them, well, in the future, there's going to be a professional class of people who earn a living by coloring other people's fingernails. They would have called you completely crazy or cutting other people's hair. Or if you want to take it to an extreme in, in a big city called New York, there'll be people who get paid a lot of money to listen to your dog's feelings. You know, they, yep. <laughs> they, they definitely punch you, right? And probably rightfully so, but these things exist, right? And these things happen. So one of the things we have to keep in mind with all of this technological change is, number one, it's not as daunting as it may seem. We just have to be flexible. If we say I'm a forklift driver and that's all I do for all my life, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to find jobs. There's no two ways about it. Right. But if you're flexible, if you become part of the solution, then rather than, you know, bemoaning the problem, then you have a universe of possibilities in front of you. You know, and, and in fact, I'm, I'm jealous of anybody who's 20 years old today because they're going to see a, a multiple times the technological change that we had in our lifetime. Absolutely. We're uh, watching the, you know, football over the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you're a football fan at all, but the Cincinnati Bengals, the last time they'd won a playoff game, text messaging didn't exist. It's a crazy example of how much has changed in uh, whatever that was, 22 years or something that they had. Yeah, so. exactly. It, it's the, the, <laughs> it depends on the Bengals, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, but it's it's true, right? And, and thinking back, it was the last generation that grew up without, you know, electric everything. Thing, right. I bought my first computer when I was 16 and I worked for it. I actually, I bought clothes at fashion shows and, and obviously they were only used once. So I sold them to my friends and that's how I made enough money to buy my first computer, you know, and uh, that thing had 128K altogether. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was fabulous. I had twice as much as everybody else. Everybody else was at 64, right? 64, yeah. <laughs> In those 128K was a word processor and a small game and a table calculator. And it was phenomenal, right? It, we were writing programs for it and stuff like that. And we were completely mesmerized. And today you'd laugh about that. Uh, you'd laugh tears. The thing to keep in mind is that technological progress is on an exponential curve. It's not on a linear curve. It's the amount of changes that we've seen is far smaller than the amount of changes that the next generation sees and then the next and the next, right? And that's, yeah. that's really important to keep in mind is this is accelerating all the time. Absolutely. How we look at that with documents or really with data is, is that curve, the amount of, if you just think of email, that's even actually becoming a very small component as everybody changes to all these other ways of communicating, but also all the ways of tracking the data. So like what you were talking about with the trucks, being able to hand off to a drone and then to a, you know, an automated forklift and, and all these different components, 
all those data points are going to have to get cataloged and searchable and tagged. So being able to track all that so that you can follow every point of the way for a package or whatever, all of that is just going to be even more so exponentially increasing the, the volume. So I think the nature of what a document is, is unraveling, right? It's, yes. We all kind of have an understanding of a document, but it's going to be much more of a series of event records. And, mm -hmm. and it's obviously once it's digital, it's fluid. And once it's on blockchain, it's also distributed and, and everywhere. It's highly fascinating to see that, you know, now things like NFTs are playing into that, which I think will make a big difference in, in supply chain down the road as well. Interesting. Well, you've given me a lot of things to think about here that uh, I hadn't put uh, blockchain entirely into all of this. So thank you for that. Uh, I'll have to look into it. But I definitely appreciate your time. Uh, it was great to uh, chat with you today and uh, look forward to uh, speaking in the future again. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.